what is good everybody man let me know if y'all can hear me man uh we had to push the we had to push the recap back a night um i was busy traveling last night also wanted to put together the highlight tape from the southern heritage classic that um i filmed from up above man i I heard the stream was bad i went back and watched the version of the game um i don't know if it was the same stream that you guys had to endure um that throughout the game but I, I heard it was bad and so i'm glad i could give you guys a little bit of content also you know had, had to get my top 25 out and things like that so appreciate y'all uh supporting the channel man the 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 support behind the channel these past few weeks has been amazing to watch and and the way that this channel has grown in just the past two weeks has has really been something i've i've, I've been really really uh grateful to have so i definitely definitely appreciate um you guys, man, and uh, everything I've been able to do, coaches' calls, traveling, covering games, voting in the top 25, man, it's all due to you guys, man. So I wanted to give you all a shout-out first. Now, call-in number's already up there, man, but uh, man, we got a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to recap some of the top games across the FCS in Week 2. We're, of course, going to talk about the Southern Heritage Classic, which I was at this weekend in Memphis, and I, you know, got some footage, got got to talk to some people, got to see that game up up and up close and personal, and I'm I got a lot of thoughts on it. I'm really interested to see what what how you guys um how you guys feel about about the game right now. Also, we're going to break down my top 25 that I submitted today uh, for the FCS Stats Perform Top 25 poll. And I'm also uh, debuting a new series on the recaps called Players of the Week. And I'm going to give you guys three offensive and three defensive players of the week from across the FCS. I'm going to make graphics that I'm probably going to drop tomorrow. So I wanted to to try to incorporate some new segments, man. I told you guys we're going to try to take this thing to the next level this year, man. But we already got our first caller, so well, let, let me get to them. Y'all let me know if y'all can hear the caller uh, when they get on the line. 931, you're live. Um, it's pretty impactful, especially when you look at how bad Kennesaw State has looked and the fact that Jacksonville State's not eligible to win the conference title. So I think right now you could take a step back and say Eastern Kentucky and Austin P look like the two best teams, but hang on that. They said they didn't hear you real quick. Let me change this up. All right. Caller, um, ask your question again and that way they can hear you. Right, let me make sure they can hear y'all. Did y'all hear his question this time? But um, like I said, I think you can make an argument that Austin P and Eastern Kentucky are the two best teams in the A-Sun right now. And that seven-overtime game was one – man, they still can't hear you. What is going on here? Hang on. I don't know why. All right, man, um, hang on. I'm going to get you to call right back in. I'm going to reboot the call line, man. Just call right back in. All right, we're going to reboot this thing. I don't know why.
right, you're live again, man. Oh, I know why they can hear you. Here we go. All right, now we got it fixed. Um, I know for a fact. So his question was, so we don't have to repeat it again, is how big was the Eastern Kentucky upset over Bowling Green? And I think it was huge. The The big th question for the A-Sun was they have to share an automatic bid with the WAC. Um, so the that FBS win could be the reason they get the automatic bid if they win their conference over a Kennesaw State who I believe who now who just got blown out by Cincinnati. Now Cincinnati is a better FBS team, but that still probably holds weight with the committee. So Eastern Kentucky needed that game and Eastern Kentucky looked very impressive. And when you com compare that to last week, they lost by six to another FBS team. So Eastern Kentucky, in my opinion, is a top 15 team. And that's why it, it um it, it reflected in my rankings this week. Mm -hmm. Okay. And another thing for Jackson State, uh, we've seen two extremes of them. Well, two times. We've seen Jackson State beat somebody 59 to 3 and 16 to 3. I know that speaks volumes about their defense. But uh, how far do you think that would take them? Who is the biggest threat in the SWAC to beat Jackson State? In the SWAC? I think you still you still got to go with Southern, even though we don't know much about them. You know, we didn't learn anything week one. When you play in, in, in AIA school and put up 86, I didn't learn anything about the team against – LSU, I don't know if there's any big takeaways. They put up 17 points, but it was really against the backups. And I, I want to see Southern this weekend against Texas Southern. In my opinion, they're the better team. They have the better coaching staff. They need to go out there and look dominant against Texas Southern. And if they do that, I think they establish themselves as the biggest threat. Now, the other one that's a sleeper, in my opinion – I think Alcorn's a team to look at. And they didn't look super impressive against Tulane. I t I, Tulane really took – they looked a lot better this weekend than I thought they were. But Alcorn looked great against Stephen F. Austin. And I think throughout the season, by the end of the season, if Aaron Allen can really develop his game, Alcorn State could be a complete team, especially with the way they run the football and how good their defense has looked at, at – in their FCS game this season, but Alcorn State and Southern would be my two picks right now because everybody else has way too many uh, question marks. Okay, one more question, then I'll let you go. How much merit do we put behind Grambling State's recent win in blowout fashion? Okay, I put a little bit. One, uh, the reason I don't give them a, a lot of credit. It's because I don't think Northwestern State's very good. That's a team who just got beat almost 50 to nothing by, I think it was Montana the, the week before. They just, they're probably going to finish in one of the bottom two spots of the Southland. That was the game where I thought Grambling had more talent. And I said before the game, if, if he doesn't, if, if, they, if Hugh and Grambling does, don't win that game by double digits, that's a bad look 
for Grambling. It's going to be a long season, and God forbid if they would have lost that game. But they came out. They ran the ball well. Hawkins looked great at QB. The defense played opportunistic. I thought Grambling looked great. So I give them a little bit of credit because things could have really went off the rails after that week one loss to Arkansas State. But I still want to see how they look against a good team like like a Jackson State this weekend. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Hey, appreciate you, man. So we got that early caller in. But, man, let's get into this top 25. I already submitted it, man. Of course, the FCS stats came out earlier today already, man. You can go check it out on the FCS stats website. If you want a more in-depth breakdown, I have this on my website, and I have like a whole notes and analysis section on why I chose how I did in my top 25. But um, some of the biggest moves, man, um, Montana jumps South Dakota State to number two. I think over the... I, th- I think over the first few weeks of the season, you can argue Montana's looked a little bit better than South Dakota State. A two-point win over UC Davis for the for the um, Jackrabbits last week. Montana went out there and smacked around South Dakota. I think their biggest question mark coming into the season was quarterback, and Lucas Johnson has looked every bit the part of what you need him to as a quarterback for the Grizz. So right now, I think Montana is a better team than South Dakota State, so I moved them up a spot. North Dakota State, 43-3 win over A&T. We'll talk about that game in a little bit. They stay number one. Montana State sticks at four. One of my, one of my biggest movers, Incarnate Word, jumps to number five. And I'm going to tell you all, I really debated on moving them into the top four. Incarnate Word, in my opinion, has been the most impressive team in the FCS this season thus far on the field. And they get a 55-41 to 41 win over Nevada, following up a 60-20-something to 20 something team, um, a 60-something to 20-something win last week over Southern Illinois. Incarnate Word looks legit, man. And this weekend they played PV in, in, a, in an interesting game, and I asked Bubba McDowell in the press conference about this game. I'm going to drop the press conference probably later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, Incarnate Word. It, week to, next week after PV, they play uh, Southeastern Louisiana on the road. That's a big game. But right now, Incarnate Word looks like the best team in the Southland, and it might not be close. And so Incarnate Word, it was one of the biggest movers, man. That's a top five team based on on-the-field performance. When you can go up there and put up 55 points on an FBS team and absolutely just smack them around all game long, Incarnate Word gets my full respect, man. And that's the only reason Missouri State drops to six. They had a big win over UT Martin. Delaware stays at seven. Uh, they they won. De- they beat Delaware State 35-9. to nine. Sacramento State only drops due to some teams that have looked better. They had a bye week in week two. I mean, listen, Sacramento State, to have a bye week in week two, I understand it. They didn't lose yet. They're 1-0. But to me, with Incarnate Word and Delaware looking so good over these first two weeks, Sacramento State just kind of dropped by default. Same for Villanova. They beat beat Long Island this weekend. And Jackson State's at 10 they dropped one spot because I had Incarnate Word behind Jackson State last week. And so due to Incarnate Word moving up, Jackson State by default had to move down a spot to number 10. I still think Jackson State's a top 10 team in the country, but until they until they prove more, I couldn't put them any higher than 10. Holy Cross jumps to 11. They beat Buffalo on a Hail Mary 37-31, one of the four FBS wins of the weekend for the FCS. 
Weber State jumps to 12. They had arguably the most impressive FBS win of the season, 35 to 7 win over Utah State. It was it, it was it was impressive, man. Weber State looks like the real deal in the big sky, and they're gonna compete on a very, very high level. Now, Chattanooga at 13, they just dropped by default because of how good some of these top teams played. Eastern Kentucky, we just talked about them, jumps to 14, a 59-57, seven-overtime win over Bowling Green. William & Mary to 15, they had a 37-21 win over Campbell in impressive fashion. They're 2-0 with an FBS win. William & Mary was also a big mover in my poll. Eastern Washington drops a little bit after their loss to Oregon. Mercer, on a, on a bye week, one and one, they stick at about 17. Rhode Island is a newcomer to the poll. They had a 35-21 win over Bryant. They have a they have an in-conference win, 35-14 over Stony Brook week one. They beat a really, really talented Bryant team that was one point away from pulling off an FBS upset last week. Rhode Island jumped to 18 in my poll um, this week. And I think last week they were like 26 and – Rhode Island um, is legit, man. I'm excited to see what they look like in the CAA. UT Martin drops to 19 after their loss to Missouri State. Austin P is a newcomer, man. Listen, they're 2-1 and one at a 41 nothing win over Valley. It could have been 60-something to um, – it could have been 60-something to nothing. It was – listen, Delelio at quarterback is the real deal, man. He had five first-half touchdowns against Valley. They their, their last two games, now given the opponents weren't – the greatest is almost they've outscored the last two opponents over a hundred to nothing and came within, within one possession of beating an FBS team in week zero. Austin P is legit in my book. They have a chance to go three and one this weekend with a win over Alabama A&M on the road. So that'll be a big test for them to have to go in to, uh, to face the Bulldogs this weekend. North Dakota jumps in after beating Northern Iowa last week. They're one and one with an FBS loss. Richmond, a big win over St. Francis falls at 22. Northern Arizona. Now, this is a team that I wasn't on my radar up until this week. Northern Arizona came in this week and beat Sam Houston State, who I consider a FBS .5 win because they have the 85 scholarships, even though Sam Houston is competing at the FCS level this year. They went out against Sam Houston State, who was supposed to have an explosive offense, and held them to three points. That is insane, man. A 10-3 to win over Sam Houston State for Northern Arizona. I love R.J. Martinez and, and Kevin Daniels at the quarterback and running back spot for them. The big sky is going to be a bloodbath this year. But I, right now, on the field, I can only base on what's happened on the field right now, man. Northern Arizona is a top 25 team. North Carolina Central moves up one spot from 25 to 24. A 41 nothing win over Winston-Salem State. They're going to have some of their biggest games coming up in the season, but based on their based on their first two weeks, I think they deserve a spot in this top twenty-five. And Stanford's at twenty-five. They lost to Georgia, but they look better against Georgia than Oregon did. It was only a thirty-three nothing loss. Sanford knocks off Kennesaw State week one. I thought Sanford belonged at twenty-five here, man. So this is my top twenty-five. Um, let me get to some of these comments and see how uh, see how you guys are feeling about this. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, right now, uh, Kay Lofton, none of the SWAC teams have done anything to deserve any top 25 respect outside of Jackson State. Nobody has looked good and out of conference. I mean, Alabama State potentially has, but they had a one possession win over a D2 team in week two after beating Howard. And outside of them, I mean, 
you know, I guess you could say PV, but uh, they just lost to Abilene Christian, so I, I can't put them in there. I mean, you can say none of the SWAC teams get respect, but nobody but Jackson State has earned any respect in terms of on the field yet. I mean, fam, you squeak by a D2 team and has got the doors blown off the first two weeks, so I, I don't think you could say SWAC teams don't get respect, man. If they start winning out of conference games and start winning on the field, then they could be in here, just like Central did, and that's why they're in the, they're in the fray, and South Carolina State was an honorable mention for me, but I need to see them do it over someone other than Bethune-Cookman. Let's see. It's safe to, man, ETSU looked horrible this week, man. E- ETSU looked atrocious. And so that's why they dropped all the way out. They dropped from 11 to unranked. And so I think they looked that bad, man. And uh, and for me, early, pre-se- early preseason polls, in my opinion, you should be able, you, you should be comfortable enough as a voter to move teams a large amount because preseason rankings are largely based on, you know, potentially what happened the year before and projections. If that team goes out there and doesn't look good, I have no problem moving them out. I have three teams that were in the top 10 of my preseason rankings that are no longer, you know, up there. So I I think more voters need to be transparent about, um, you know, you got to be transparent. Listen, Stephen F. Austin, ETSU and Kennesaw State all dropped out of my rankings and they were all preseason top tens. I think you have to be honest with yourself when teams were just um when when teams are just overrated going into the preseason. And so ETSU was one of those teams. Cardinet were dropped 55 on Nevada G. I mean, I'm telling you, it was impressive. Utah State was clearly decimated after playing Alabama, played like they did not want to be there. I I mean in Utah State was a team that I think people were looking at potentially to win their conference, man. And they just got blitzed, man, by Weber State. It was it was impressive. Let's see. Where's FAMU? Israel, you are out of pocket for that. <laughs> I get to see in person how dominant NDSU can be. Want to see what they do against Arizona. He is, who is retooling with some good young talent. So, so glad to see my Eagles in the top 25. I agree, man. Listen, call-in number is there, man. Call-in if you uh, – if you got any questions, we're about to get to our players of the week here. The Big Sky Conference is clearly the best. UT Martin also looks good. Also understand why UIW isn't above Montana, but they definitely look better. Maybe it's just uh, they're exciting. You know, for me, the only reason the only reason I didn't move them above Montana State is I tried to look at it from a completely neutral perspective. Because UIW, in my opinion, like I said, has been the most impressive team. It's just on one hand how is is was southern illinois overrated because southern illinois went out there and lost to um south southeast missouri state this weekend too so sitting at 0 and 2 i don't know i don't know if i can move them to 4 for that win cuz as the season moves along that win may not look as 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 as, as impressive as it does now if if southern illinois would have won last week i think i probably would have had UIW at 4 or 3 but just due to the question mark surrounding Southern Illinois, I kept UIW at five. That's showing them the respect I think they deserve without overrating them before they've um, before they've played some of this, these top FCS teams that are going to be coming up on their schedule. Man, we're going to talk about all the massive upsets. We are going to talk about all the massive upsets. Do not worry. Arc State is better than everyone thinks they are. Grambling is better than what people think they are. Well, uh, we're going to talk about Grambling too. Don't don't worry about that. Let's see what other team in the HBC space should be ranked. Curious, I say none. That's for old boy, not you. Okay, that's that's what I was saying. Uh, 
Jackson State is a top five school. Their defense is everything. Their offense left about three touchdowns on the field because of penalties. I mean, you could argue that, man. But um, when you look, I mean, listen. Uh, when you look at it, okay. So Villanova potentially Sac State's only played a game, so I don't know if you can really make an argument for Sac State. We don't know what they are yet. Delaware has an FBS win and has looked really impressive this weekend against Delaware State. Missouri State already has a ranked win on their schedule, and Central Arkansas is a solid win for them as well, out of conference on the road. UIW has an FBS win by double digits and a top 10 week one win. Montana State has looked has has looked great these first two weeks. South Dakota State played an F, uh, a power five school within three. Montana's been unstoppable in their first two games and North Dakota State has outscored their first two opponents almost a hundred something to like 17. So I, I don't I don't think Jackson State is just a guaranteed top five school man. I mean they could have the talent but they got a chance they got to prove it on the field first man. Uh, you can't rank teams based on paper uh paper perception. I got I've got to rank teams based on what they do on the field man and you know, so I, I think they're a top 10 team right now, potentially a top five team if they can prove it. But I don't think you could say they're a top five school right this second, just in my opinion. Is the CAA the second best conference over the Missouri Valley? Ron, I won't get carried away. I won't get carried away here. Um, but we'll see. I've, listen, the, the CAA has looked a lot better than I expected. I will say that. Um, Grambling. Uh, Grambling played Northwestern State, Diamond, and you know I thought that was a game they should win. If I'm not mistaken, Grambling was the favorite in that game, or at least they should have been. Uh, Northwestern State was coming off a 47 to nothing loss to Montana, so I think that was a game that Grambling had to win, and Grambling should win, and they did. I give them credit for that. The running game finally looked like it was supposed to, and man, Maurice Washington is a highlight tape waiting to happen. Now, the one question I do have is why Faison Wilson hasn't been getting a lot of a lot of touches, a lot of snaps, but maybe we'll see him once the competition and once the game start um start ramping up. Let's see. Montana State has their top three running backs hurt, put up 63 points and play Oregon State this weekend too. Now if they beat Oregon State, we can have a conversation. If they beat Oregon State, they can have a conversation. I think the JSU has a top five defense, but the team is still top 15. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, Israel, I, that's that's easy. I 1,000% agree with that. I mean, Jack State, of course, has put on, ha, has one of the best defenses in the country. But well, I, I, like you said, they're a top 15, top 10 team. I think they're closer to top 10 than top 15. Right now, I think they uh, – if, if you look at the rankings and say like head-to-head, I think in my opinion – you know, you know, Holy Cross, Weber State, Chattanooga, Eastern Kentucky, William and Mary. I mean, Jackson State. I think, um, in my opinion, I think Jackson State is the better team out of those other teams. But then, when you start looking up in that top ten, the the one through nine range, it becomes a real, real debate. Um, JSU has to influence other voters, and they're looking at the scores and pressing with scores, and they'll jump. It's about pollsters. Go back to the early BCS era when teams beat you bad. It that's true. It's not paper perception when there was two touchdowns that weren't look given that weren't given look at the film. Man, I was at the game. Like I didn't like I was there. Like I get you. I mean that there were there were some bad calls both ways, but I don't think just because you beat Tennessee State by that much, I don't think that proves you're a top five team. Because I mean, I love Tennessee State. I think they're gonna be great in the OVC, but I don't think any of the top nine teams would have 
would have lost that game either. So I, I get what you mean, but well, listen, in due time, I mean, it's a top 10 team. I don't think you could be upset being a top 10 team right now and going into week three. But, man, let's get to um, the offensive players of the week. Man, let me, let me get this. Uh, let me get this thing out the way. But man, the first the first player of the week, probably the overall player of the week, is Matthew Sulka from Holy Cross. Man, he he went he went crazy, man, through the air and on the ground. Led Holy Cross to an FBS win. Hit the hell Mary to win the game with uh with, with no time left. And listen, two hundred and thirty eight passing yards, three passing touchdowns, almost a hundred and fifty yards rushing. Uh, listen, Matthew Sulka went insane, and this is a guy who, it's funny, he hit a Hail Mary this weekend to beat an FBS team, and him and the exact same wide receiver hit the same Hail Mary to win in the first round of the playoffs over Sacred Heart last year. Him, him and Coker, him and Jalen Coker are the most dynamic Hail Mary duo in the FCS, man. And Listen, I, <laughs> Matthew Sulka is legit. Man, he deserves his player of the week for that FBS win. Um, Darian Chafin, incarnate worldwide receiver, is, a, is my second player of the week. Man, seven catches, 262 yards, and two receiving touchdowns. I want to repeat that. Seven catches for almost 300 yards receiving and found the end zone twice. And this doesn't even include... And a preseason first team FCS All American and Taylor Grimes, which is still on that receiving core. Darian Chafin proved that he could be a number one target in this offense. And GJ Kenny has this offense rolling behind Lindsey Scott, Chafin, and Taylor Grimes. The offensive line has looked amazing as well. But Darian Chafin was one of the best players in the country this weekend. And finally, Jason Shelley, Missouri State quarterback. Completed almost 80% of his passes, 297 yards, and threw five touchdowns through the air to lead Missouri State um, to the big, big win over UT Martin in, on, in, in terms of the only ranked win of the weekend at the FCS level. Um, and, and Jason Shelley and Shador Sanders, in my opinion, are going to have an absolute battle for the Walter Payton Award. I think they're probably the two favorites right now, but don't sleep on – Guys like Solka, Tim Demorat at Fordham, and some of these, um, and 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 some of these other other guys who are coming up in the FCS. Man, but these are my three offensive players of the game. Listen, Larry's. Listen, uh, I think you're talking about the Incarnate Word. Um, listen, I, I think you're talking about the uh, Lindsey Scott Jr. from Incarnate Word. I gave his wide receiver the the nod this time, Vic, only because I feel like wide receivers don't get the credit. And that, that, that's one of the big things that I try to stress on is that we don't always give the quarterback credit. If a wide receiver has a game where he catches two, 260-plus yards and two touchdowns on seven catches, I went, I went with Chafin over Lindsey Scott just because Chafin was the number one guy for Incarnate Word. So that, that, that's the only reason is because I feel like a lot of analysts and a lot of fans, instead of giving the, instead of giving the – wide receiver and quarterback equal credit they always just go ahead and give it to the quarterback so uh, that's why I went with Chafin over Scott man but the defensive players of the week uh my overall defensive player of the week is Jalen Jones man he won the FCS defensive player of the week I think by FCS stats and it it was an easy one um listen Jalen Jones had three interceptions a pick six and two pass breakups 
against Campbell this weekend. He was all over the field as a redshirt freshman. And Jalen Jones and this defense is one of the reasons why William and Mary has been one of the more impressive teams in the country at the FCS level. They get an FBS win. They get a huge win over Campbell this weekend. And so Jalen Jones, three interceptions, a defensive touchdown, and multiple pass breakups had to be the player of the week. Now, two defensive ends. They get the honorable mentions, Niles Gaddy from Jackson State and Chris Whitaker from Incarnate Word. Incarnate Word goes back-to-back with Players of the Week. Both of these guys had four sacks and four-plus tackles for loss. Now, Niles Gaddy had six total tackles, four sacks, four-and-a-half for loss, while Chris Whitaker had nine tackles, four sacks, four tackles for loss, and a forced fumble. In my opinion, both of these guys were dominant this weekend. They were disruptive in the backfield, and they led really, really talented defensive units uh, where, I mean, either one of these guys could have easily been the player of the week. To have The defensive, the defensive player of the week this week was extremely hard because there are some guys who I left off that absolutely went crazy in terms of tackles. But then a pick six, three interceptions, two guys that put up four sacks apiece and multiple tackles, Listen, it, it both all three of these guys were impressive, but Jalen Jones, Niles Gaddy, Chris Whitaker are our defensive players of the week, and they all they all deserve it. And I know there was a lot of talk about Gaddy and everything. Listen, man, I still give him credit, even though there, I get it. It was people say, you know, Scotty and everyone said if you took him off this team, he wouldn't do it. But for me, I think he still gets credit because he still went out there on the field and di- and did it. Two one zero, you're live. Zach, appreciate the call. Um, during the Mountain West broadcast for the UIW game, the announcer said that you know they don't follow FCS that close, but they think UIW could compete for a national championship. Do you think that's feasible? Mm. Okay, <laughs> this is a question that I have been struggling with myself. I think. Yes, and I know that's going to be controversial in in terms of the FCS analyst community. In my opinion, Incarnate Word's offense is going to put them in any game that they play because they're going to be able to put the ball in the air and spread all these big physical defenses out, and they're going to put up points. And I really do think this sounds crazy. They're going to average over 42 points per game this year. Really and truly. And the one question, though, and this is the same question that I get about Kennesaw, about Sacramento State, about, I mean, who else do you want to put in that conversation? Missouri State is when you don't have a history of winning in the playoffs, when it when it gets in late November, early December, and you don't have that history, which Incarnate Word doesn't have, can you do it on the biggest stage? And so can the defense hold up? That's a question because they do play in the Southland and they get a lot of experience stopping these spread pass-happy uh, pass schemes. But what happens when they have to go to the Fargo Dome and defend against North Dakota State, who's going to run the ball 45 times and average seven yards to carry? Can they, win a, can they win a scrappy game like that is the question. But with G.J. Um, Kinney, this is only his first year ever as a head coach. If he can just get them to the second round this year, 
I like their chances over the next few years to compete for an FCS title. I, I just think you have to get past the first round in your first year. And the fact that in his first year, his first two wins are a top 10 FCS upset and an FBS win. You've got to give uh, Coach Kenny a lot of credit and that staff a lot of credit for what they've done. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, man. Mr. Ford, you're live. Hey, how you doing? Not too bad. Okay, look here. First thing I want to say is this here. Let me turn this thing down here. This, uh, wait a minute. Hold on. Isn't that guy up in Notre Dame named Marcus Freeman? What's his name up there? Yeah, it's Marcus Freeman. Okay, first thing he need to do, everybody that was on uh, Brian Kelly's staff, when he took that head coaching job, get rid of them including that offensive coordinator. Bring your own offensive coordinator. Come down here to the Southland, pick you one of them guys, or go to the NFL and get you some. Get rid of all them people that was on Brian Kelly's staff. Get your own people. Okay, second thing I want to say is to these North Carolina a t graduates. You see how you got beat this week? Get used to that. You're going to get beat like that for the next three, four years. Okay, and then when you get mad and realize you say, well, well whose fault is this? It's that AD's fault. That he, it's Hilton's fault, and it's the president's fault. And the one you need to get rid of is Hilton, because this was his idiotic idea to put y'all first, put you in the Big South. Now he got you over your head up there in that CAA. But now let me tell you what I called about. What I called about was I saw the fam you up in the state game, and let me just say this here. FAMU basically was dominated by a Division II school for two quarters. The offensive line, except them two tackles, is not even SWAC material. They playing a high school boy at center. He shouldn't even be uh, on the rock. That boy should be red-shirting. He's too small. He's not fast enough. He should be red-shirted. Now, that uh, left guard they got, he's mediocre. The boy next to Coven He's pathetic, okay? And here's the other thing that I, I thought that FAMU's front seven would be more dominant. Now, let me tell you this. That boy, uh, Greg, uh, what's his name? Is it Land? What's the boy's name? Yeah, Isaiah Land. Isaiah Land is everything they say he is, and I like Jenna Hunt. That front seven is not as dominant. Now, I'm going to tell you the kid that is dominant, too, is that boy they got from that junior college. Isn't his name Major? Yeah, oh, Isaiah Major. He came from Indy. Yeah, he came from Indy Community College. That boy's for real. He's for real. That other linebacker got to stand up. But now here's the worst thing about uh, uh, FAMU's uh, uh, defense. The man who is now actually the defense coordinator and is calling the plays, he was with Nick Saban. He was with Nick Saban. He was on Nick Saban's staff. I think he was a – I don't know if he was a position because I think it was an analyst. Listen, that defense looks terrible. It is so vanilla. They doing nothing exotic. He ain't calling for no blitzes, nothing. And I, I'm just, you know, I'm just sitting here just, how did FAMU go from the team they had last year to this team this year? Now, that remember that Keenan Forbes, that big boy that went out to Seattle and got cut? They missing him. They missing him. That offensive line, like I'm telling you now, I think Goss is going to be all right. Coven is going to be all right. Now, the other thing uh, Coach Simmons got to do, 
I told y'all before, this boy is a damn foul. He's got to run two tight ends. One tight end has got to be for a primarily offensive line block, and the other one's got to be a wing tight who will be in the pass belt. He's got to take all them wide receivers off the field. There's too many wide receivers out there. He don't need no more than three. And one of them uh, wide receivers, it needs to be a tight end. Now, that boy they got called Man- Manigo. You know what I'm talking about? He, I think he wears 85. Yeah, he's like the tight He's like the tight end slash, you know, big wide receiver. Yeah, but they've been playing him. See, here, here's why, why, what they're doing with him is a waste of time. They're running him outside the numbers. He don't have that kind of speed. He needs to be a wing tight. He needs to help them in the middle of the field, and then you can sneak him sometime deep. But they're wasting time running him out wide. They wasting time running him out wide. Now I'm gonna close on this. Y'all see now why uh, Fox and uh, that other uh, network, ESPN, they doing what they doing, trying to monopolize the money. Let me tell you something. And I told you this, Blue, and y'all and uh, y'all kind of disagreed with me about a year ago. Appalachian State will beat everybody in that darn gone ACC right now, with the exception of about two or three teams. Now, they won't beat Clemson. I don't think they'll beat Miami. And if that boy from Florida State keep playing like he's playing, they won't beat them. But let me tell you something. The rest of them folks in that ACC, App State will beat them. Do you see how that Sun Belt Conference clown this weekend? They bought out. That's why I keep telling y'all, football has become regional. The best footballers in the South and in the Midwest. Everywhere else, it, it's mediocre. Blue, did you want to ask me anything before I left? Oh, no, I disagree with you. Uh, um, you know, when I was talking conference realignment, I said the ACC is messing up by not getting App State on the phone. And yeah. can, and they let UCF, which... There you a, go. That's right. Yeah, they, they have a major brand in Orlando, which would... Yes, kinda, they do. They, they, it would pretty much, outside of Gainesville, let the ACC lock up Florida, and they let them walk right to the Big 12 for some reason. That's right. But, you still have App State. You still have Coastal Carolina, who is building an outstanding program. And you still have yep. Memphis and Tennessee, who I think would still be a geographical fit for that conference. Well, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. With every one of them programs you just called out, it's good coaching. See, let me tell you something. That guy that said UCF, he came from Auburn. He's trying to, he's trying to make UCF an SEC program. Now, people don't know that, but he's trying to do that. Okay, that guy up there at uh, Coastal Carolina, that coach up there, that, that dude's a big time. He just said Coastal Carolina. There's a lot of people trying to get him. But those people in Myrtle Beach put their money together and kept him there. Okay, now I'm, I'm, one guy I want to always give credit to is Pat Narduzzi. Don't, 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 I don't want to, Pat Narduzzi is one of the top 10 coaches in the country. Pat Pitt, that guy know what he's doing. Pat Narduzzi is good. But let me just tell you this when you look at, they giving that guy at Georgia Tech $3 million a year base salary. And he ain't worth nothing. That, you know what I'm talking about? That Jeff Collins, he's pathetic. He is pathetic. This is his last year. They're going to fire yeah, him. Listen, I don't think he's going to make the, you, you think he's going to make the whole season? No, probably not. It's going to take one big blowout because, I mean, they got lucky to beat Western Carolina this weekend. There you go. Now, now, let me say this, and then I'm going to shut it down because I know you got a bunch of callers. Listen, I've been told, y'all, now, Texas A&M got all that money, but Jimbo Colvin ain't that big-time coach. Y'all think he is. And he ain't never impressed me because, see, he left a mess down there at Florida State, and guess what they did? They sacrificed Willie Taggart, okay? Jimbo left a mess, and then they gave Willie Taggart 15 games and then got rid of him. 
Okay? So let me just tell you this. You people out there at Texas A&M, yeah, you spent $20 million on that recruiting class, and you, you uh, got, I think you spent over $200 million on athletics, but one thing y'all need to remember, Texas A&M, Jimbo uh, Fisher is your head coach. Listen, Blue, y'all have a good night. Thank you, Mr. Ford. Okay. Mm. Man, there were so many upsets this weekend. We were sitting in the press box, man, waiting for the Jackson State game, and we had the Notre Dame game. We had all these F- FCS games on, man. It, it was a great weekend if you were an, if you were uh, like a, an underdog fan, which I think everyone kind of is in a way. It, it was amazing to watch this weekend, man. The fact that Nevada, Marshall, Weber State, Incarnate Word, I mean, listen, Georgia Southern over Nebraska, it was a great weekend for upsets, and I loved it. And App State, over um, App State over Texas A&M was another one. Listen, man, I love it. Anytime Jimbo Fisher and A&M lose, I'm, I'm a happy guy. And, and Texas should have pulled off the upset over Bama. We won't talk about that one though, uh, just yet. But man, let's uh, let's get to some of these FCS over FBS upsets before we get into our games of the week, man. Um, listen, we kind of already kind of hit them, but listen, Incarnate Word. 55-41 over Nevada in a huge upset. Listen, um, I. I, I just want to say, and every there we got two hundred something people in here. If you watch the preview show, I want to remind you. I called the, these first two upsets, man. I told y'all, Incarnate Word, Nevada, and Eastern Kentucky Bowling Green were upset. Were upset locks almost, and we, we hit them on the head, man. That's back to back weeks. We've got one Delaware over um, who they beat Navy week one. We called that one too, man. But listen. 55-41 over Nevada. Eastern Kentucky, 59-57, seven overtimes. I got to ask you guys, and you can put, y'all can put in the comments quickly, how do y'all feel about the new overtime rules where after the second or third overtime, it's just back-to-back uh, two-point conversions? Um, How do y'all feel about that? Because I think, you know, it, it's better than – it's better than teams having to, you know, do full drives from the 25, in my opinion. But I think it really, really tests the creativity of the offensive coordinators. I don't know if you guys saw. I think um, Eastern Kentucky, it was like the sixth overtime. They went for two and did a um, a hook and lateral, a hook and lateral from the two-yard line, which is a two-point conversion. They did a hook and lateral with an offensive tackle. They got so creative with their play calling. So, uh, you know, for me, I think it's more exciting. But if you don't have a creative offensive mind, man, you are screwed. Because after like that second or third overtime, you are out of place to run. And I think you, you've seen that in a few of the six, seven overtime games that have happened since the rule change. I see a few guys uh, say they love it and a few don't. Um, but for me, I, I'm torn on it. But listen, it's so much more exciting to watch, in my opinion. Two two nine, you're live. Hey, hey, Blue. What's up, man? Uh, just, just want to uh, say something about the uh, Sun Belt Conference. Um, Troy University. I know they played against. Was it Alabama A and M this weekend? Yeah, it was Alabama A and M. Yeah, Alabama. Troy University. Their seniors. That's the best recruiting class in the history of Troy football, and they have underperformed their entire time at Troy. I don't know when you look at Troy, where do you see them in the ranking within the Sun Belt Conference? You know, next to the App States, Coastal Carolina, and uh, I guess Georgia Southern and Georgia State, because that Eastern Division within the Sun Belt is the best 
division within the Sun Belt? I think it just depends how this coaching staff can develop those recruits. Because you talk about the success on the recruiting in the in the portal and on the recruiting trail, but man, when I think they're in tier two, whatever that may be, I think they're in the bottom tier of that division. Because when you look at that conference, I still I think they're still behind Coastal. They're still behind App State, and then really that's really tier one. And then Louisiana, now that they've lost Napier, is probably in that tier two range. I think you could put Troy in that bottom tier two, maybe tier three if they can't start um, developing talent. But Troy was really, really good under Neil Brown. That's when they upset LSU. And then it seems like ever and since Nebraska. he left. Yeah. And ever since he left, Troy just kind of hasn't been able to get a guy in there that can develop talent the way Neil Brown did. And so that's their biggest challenge is just getting the coaching staff that knows how to work with what Troy has around them. But with the facilities and the support of that fan base, I don't think there's any reason Troy can't be successful. They're just missing that it factor in the coaching staff, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the coach we hired after Neil Brown, that was a pure dumpster fire for three years. And Coach Summerall that's come in there, he's trying to, to revamp that, but he's at least maybe two, three years away. I, I don't know. But, hey, Blue, that was it. I just wanted to call in and talk about Troy. Hey, have a good one. Hey, have a good one, man. Appreciate you. Uh, Mr. Mr. Campbell, uh, call the numbers right here, 701-799-9585 is the call-in number. But Weber State over Utah State, we've talked about that. Also, Holy Cross over uh, Buffalo was the other FBS upset of the weekend. But we're going to get to our games of the week right after this caller. 931, you're live. Hey, is Weber State that good or was Utah State just that bad? Coming into the season, Utah State had a lot of hype in terms of their conference um, projections, but we know this. Everybody who plays Bama early, especially teams that aren't on that same level, usually have a hangover. So I think it's a little bit of a combination. I think Weber. It's a little bit better than we expected. I had them in my top 25, but I think right now they're probably a top 15 team in the FCS, but we really won't know where they stand until they get into that big sky schedule and they really start getting tested because they get to, they get to play the Montanas, Montana States, Eastern Washingtons, and et cetera. Okay, yeah, and that's the matchup I wanted to ask you about. How Where would you see, if you had to call that game right now, Eastern Washington versus Weber State. Who do you have coming out on top? Mm. You know, it's, it's tough. tough. Yeah, it's tough because I don't think Oregon and Utah State are comparable FBS games, in my opinion. It's very true. I think it depends on where the game's played. I think mm-hmm. if it's on the red turf, I lean Eastern Washington because I do think Talkington is that good of a quarterback. But, oh, man, after watching this weekend, though, and Weber, Weber's had um, Eastern's number. I don't know if you remember. Uh, Weber, in the midst of the Eric Berrier era, Weber State won four straight Big Sky titles and knocked Eric Berrier and Eastern Washington off last season. It was the big upset. So I think I would lean Weber slightly, but I think that would be a competitive game. I want to see where that game's played, though, this year. All right. Thank you for asking my questions. Appreciate you, man. 
Got Mr. Campbell on the line. Mr. Campbell, you're live. Nephew, hey man. First of all, let me just say, great job, Zach, on the questions, like the swag call, <laughs> conference call. But man, you gotta make, you gotta do like Dr. Cavill, bro. You got to say, Zach from the Blue Bob Pocket. You gotta keep branded, bro, because people hear those questions, and then you know they go check you out, like Dr. Cavill. So you gotta always say, put that blue bloods in there, okay? So that's I a got little you. thing. So make sure you. Now, here's the question I want to ask you, Blue, and I want to talk about Tennessee State and where they're sitting at right now. So we've looked at them. We've seen them play a couple of games. They've looked pretty good. Now, they were picked, I believe, fourth in the OVC. Do you believe they've got a chance to get to the top two? It looks like they got to play UT Martin at the end of the year, and I think they got one more other game. But what do you think? Do they really have a shot of potentially winning that conference or finishing number two and maybe getting in the playoffs? I definitely think they have a chance to win it, their biggest competition, of course, is going to be UT Martin, who looked really, really good this weekend against Missouri State. They lost by five, but they struggled with quarterback play. But the question is, is can Draylon Ellis be more efficient through the air? Because what they did with Jason Shelley is they stopped his scrambling really, really well. And if and I'm worried if you take that away from Draylon Ellis, there's no chance for Tennessee State to succeed. Draylon Ellis has to run for 50 to 75 yards per game for that offense to be at their highest output or highest potential. So that's the question mark I have against UT Martin. But they get mm, – I think Murray State's a question mark. I haven't really – we haven't seen them against a good FCS squad. And they, them and Tennessee State have had some good battles. I believe Tennessee State called them last year. That's probably their next biggest competition. But right now – I think you could say after the first two weeks of the season, they're a top-two team talent-wise in the OVC. The biggest test for Eddie George and that coaching staff is to keep that team focused and let them understand that even though we're probably going to be sitting at 0-3 because they have their FBS game this weekend, even though we're at 0-3, all our goals are ahead of us and we're a better team than our record shows because you know as a coach it's really, really hard to do that. Yeah, that's the thing that when I was looking at that schedule, and you hit it right on the head, is can they, as they see, see the forest because of the trees. And that's the thing that if he stays focused, what I like about Eddie, who is the complete opposite of Dion, his team is taking on his toughness. You can tell slowly but surely they're starting to gravitate to that grind it out. We're going to stay in the game. We're just going to play our game, nothing flashy, let's just keep running the ball, let's keep playing. And I think what I liked about Tennessee State, there was many times in that game Saturday they could have just gave up because they really weren't moving the ball, they weren't executing. But you could tell those guys like, you know what, we can win this game if we can make a play. They just never could make a play to win the game. So that's one thing. And then Blue, one last thing, and then you don't have to talk about it now, but maybe the next few weeks because we hearing a lot about Shador. Can you give us like a quarterback ranking maybe every week of the top five SCS court, so we can just kind of get a comparison. I think what happens is with a lot of fans, they don't know the other guys that are out there, right? And maybe if we can kind of see, you know, week by week, I think that would just be interesting just to kind of track that going forward. I definitely can do that. I'll start doing that where I rank my top five quarterbacks. I'm also, I've been waiting because it's hard to compare stats this early. I'm also going to be coming yep. out with a Buck Buchanan, Jerry Rice, and Walter Payton watch list about week four or five. So 
that will kind of keep people up with the award races too. But I'll definitely do that. I think Shador is top five easily. And I said on my last show, I think you could, I think he's top two right now. Him and Jason Shelley have really and truly separated themselves in terms of consistency, explosiveness, and and of course stats do matter as a quarterback. We both know that. They they put they put them up week in and week out. I mean, Jason Shelley went out there and threw for three hundred and five touchdowns this week, and I think the fact that Shador didn't have I, I would say he had a good game, but he didn't have that same game where you know because you know how it was, Mister Campbell. Everyone was saying that he was going to win the Heisman last week. There's no talk like that this week after the way that game turned out. So. I'll definitely do that, but I think he's top two, top three, depending if you're splitting hairs. But for me, I would have him number two, Jason Shelley number one, and I think you could argue that they're probably 1A, 1B right now. I 100% agree, man. I 100% agree. Hey, man, well, great show. I'll let you get back to it. Appreciate you, Mr. Campbell. Yes. So, yeah, that will be coming. We're we're doing – quarterback rankings and um everything like that so if there's anything else y'all want to see man let me know excuse me we can make that work but let's talk about our games of the week man and also yes i did forget about um southeast missouri state too they are competition in the ovc and they're going to run the football man gino hess is a monster but also that new quarterback uh byron you might help me i don't know if you're an scmo fan i'm blanking on the kid's name but he had a crazy week this week against southern illinois too so um i definitely uh I, I definitely uh, got to give him credit, man. Listen, any UIW merch, let me know, Michael. I'm also, so this weekend, something came up. I'm not going to be able to travel for a game this weekend. I had something kind of come up. So no FCS travel game of the week this week, but week four next week, I will be at incarnate Worth Southeastern Louisiana down there in, um, in Southland country, man. So uh, I'll, I'll be covering that game. In, um, in, in person, Michael. So hopefully if you travel to see Incarnate Word, man, I'll definitely catch up with you at, at that game. But let's talk about the games of the week, man. I was at one. One was on Thursday night. I've already dropped an article. People probably already know a little bit about it. Missouri State beats UT Martin 35-30. I thought UT Martin looked really good, man. Listen, quarterback play for UT Martin was a big question mark. And I think that's answered. Win has thrown for 300-plus yards the first two weeks of the season. They had a real good chance to win this game. And they just... They seemed to make mistakes at the at the worst times, and they had no answer for Jason Shelley and Tyrone Scott, which might be the best quarterback-to-wide receiver tandem in the FCS. Scott had three receiving touchdowns this weekend, led the team in receiving yards. UT Martin just was not able to slow down Missouri State's offense, and, and that really and truly cost them that game. But um, Missouri State looks good, and uh, I'm interested to see how this Jason Shelley Shador Sanders race for the Walter Payton is. I do think that's what it's going to come down to, how that unfolds over the next few weeks as the competition for both of these teams continues to um, continues to ramp up. But let's get to the Jackson State Tennessee State game. I know everyone's been waiting for my thoughts on it being there, man. I hope y'all like the highlights. I got them from press box level, man, with 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 this camera I got. So um, I, I'm still working on. I missed the game winner because I didn't notice the dudes next to me's um, equipment was in the way because there was no play in that bottom corner of the end zone all game. And when he threw it, I was following him, and I noticed that the equipment got right in my way, and I tried to correct it as fast as possible. But um, you know, you know how it goes. But um, listen, it it was. It, I'm so glad it didn't rain. I'm so glad there wasn't a weather delay because if I did, if if there was a weather delay, you guys were never going to let me go to another game. I I know. Um, I I know for a fact y'all y'all were never going to let me show back up. But 
listen, this game was interesting. Um, I thought the Jackson State defense played an outstanding game. Uh, Niles Gaddy, Aubrey Miller, um, that, that entire defensive front played an outstanding game. Tennessee State had trouble handling the front seven of uh, of of Jackson uh, of Jackson State, Tennessee State's O line had some bright spots where they were able to bust a few runs for Devon Starling and Draylon Ellis early. And I got to give I, I got to give Tennessee State credit for this. On that first drive, I was really wondering how conservative Tennessee State was going to be early. We they saw what Jackson State was did to FAMU early in that Orange Blossom Classic, but they did not back down. Eddie George, in my opinion, knew he needed points. And that deep shot he took that Draylon Ellis hit on that first drive to put them in field goal range was impressive. And I think that showed that Eddie George was not going to back down from that moment. And and he went for it, and he knew he had to get points on the board. And that was a drive that I feel like if they got seven, the momentum of that offense might have taken a little bit of a turn. But the fact that they only got three really and truly – um kind of took the wind out of the sails of a really great first drive. But, I mean, when you, like I got the stat sheet here from the press box, man. I mean, the fact that they only had, what, 100-something total yards, uh, they, 140 total yards on 60 plays, that's not going to get it done against a, against a top-10 team in the country like Jackson State. Um, Devon Starling, I feel like, had a good game. Uh, really and truly, even though the stat box might not show it, what he had 70 yards rushing for about four yards per carry. I mean, listen, he did everything he could. The problem with the offense is that they 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 just couldn't – every single time they got any sort of momentum, man, they just shot themselves in the foot, regardless of what it was. Was it a drop pass? Was it a – was it a um, overthrow by Draylon Ellis? Was it an inaccurate pass by Draylon Ellis? Was it a false start by the offense? Was it a holding call? It just always seemed like Tennessee State – either shot themselves with the foot or Niles Gaddy and one of those defensive players from Jackson State made a big play. And so, uh, you know, Tennessee State had opportunities to 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 put that game, um, to make that game a lot closer and put a little bit, bit of pressure on Jackson State's offense. Draylon in the second half missed that deep shot. Um, number 24, Dobson, absolutely toasted um, uh, Isaiah Bolden in, in one-on-one coverage and had him beat by three or four steps. And Draylon Ellis overthrew it. Um, he, uh, you, you could tell that he was, he got a little happy in the pocket in the second half and he overthrew that, and, but that was going to be a touchdown pass if he hits, if he hits stops in his stride. So you can't miss opportunities like that against Jackson state and coach prom talked about it in his press conference today where he was proud of his defense, but there were some times where Tennessee state had an opportunity to put some points on the board and they didn't execute it. And so I, I think Eddie George talked about it in his press conference where, um, he he understood that his team uh, did not execute when they needed to, and that's fine. But Jackson State's offense, man, listen, I get it. Um, they put up over 400 yards of total offense. But the thing is, is, man, when you get in the red zone, man, that is where it gets – that's where it gets tough to put points on the board. And, you know, I had someone say, uh, listen, they uh, – they said, man, this wasn't a defensive battle. Jackson State put up 400 yards of total offense, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, you know what yards from the 20 to the 20 are without points? They're pointless. No one cares if you got 400 yards of offense but didn't get points on that drive. So, listen, you can um, 
you could say you put up a bunch of yards, but listen, if you don't put up points on that drive, then the yards don't matter. So it's still a defensive battle. It was just, it was different defensive strategies. Jackson State has a defense where they can go out there and they can play dominating, stifling defense and hold a team to 140 yards of, of total offense. Tennessee State utilized the opportunistic bend but don't break approach where, listen, you can get all the yards you want from the 20 to the 20, but when you get inside that 20, we're going to make a play where you where you don't come away with seven. And both of the both of those defenses are are effective at certain times. So the idea that you know, it, and this I, the the one thing that gets me about people's takeaways from this game is yes, Jackson State made mistakes and shot themselves in the foot at times, but I've been hearing way 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 too many people not look at this like an analyst and and just say Tennessee State gets no credit for playing good. And you know it, it and that that, that kind of gets me because listen if you flip it let's just be honest here together it's your favorite team. They they give up 400 yards of total offense but they force three turnovers in the red zone and they they hold the, and they hold a team that just scores 60 points to three field goals. I mean, listen, I, everyone would be saying how great Jackson State's defense played in the red zone. That's that, that's the truth. And so that's what gets me is, I mean, no one's giving Tennessee State any credit, man. They played excellent red zone defense. And uh, I get it. There were some questionable calls on both sides. Listen, the targeting, complete BS. There were some holding penalties on both sides that, what, that I didn't really think were holding when I go – uh, back and look and listen man, the touchdowns that were taken away listen I went back and watched the game in person in person the replay they showed on the on the jumbotron it looked like Martin fumbled I'm just gonna be honest with you that they, they looked like it looked like Mar- Martin fumbled from our perspective I in the stream I watched they didn't have a good they didn't have a good view of it so I don't know which stream you guys watched because there were like 19 streams going on and and listen regardless if he was down or not man it was to call on the field you could say what ifs on both of them. Now the Shador one, I personally thought he got in, and the replay I saw. Listen, and this is this is what kills me is, man, why do you have a football game, and you don't have cameras at the at the goal line? Every every single every single game should have cameras at the goal line on both sides. That way. That way you can see from your right side and your left side if a play develops and you have to see if the ball gets across the plane. It is not expensive to have a small camera on the pylon so you can see things like that, man. The stream I watched, they had the angle in the end zone, but it was only on the side they didn't need. And so there was no way to like actually – that there, there was no way to actually review that, and so that's a whole nother thing, man. Is that there is no, there's no reason that I don't care if ESPN was not streaming the game. I don't care if CBS, Fox. There is no game if you want to referee fairly that you should not have cameras in the end zone. That is ridiculous, and man, a GoPro or a little camera is like fifty bucks, bro. Like I don't want to hear that the promoters couldn't afford it or anything like that. Like a, a singular camera to put by the pylon so you can get the call right. You don't you don't need to buy a two thousand dollar camera. Like it's it's not this is it's ridiculous. But that's a whole other point. But regardless, it, it, touchdowns taken away or not, it was called how it was called, man. And the strip from Shane Hooks that was Tennessee State making a play. Was it not sacking Shador to take him out of field goal range and forcing uh, Jackson State to punt from like inside the 50? 
I mean, listen, Tennessee State made plays, man. The only thing I'm saying, RJ, is that too many people are trying to say Tennessee State gets zero credit when that's that's not the case if you actually watch this football game at um, w- without, you know, any bias as a fan. Tennessee State made plays in the red zone, man. You've got to – you got to give them that. But listen, Jackson State played an amazing defensive game. I thought Shador had a fine game, man. 30 for 44, 276, a touchdown. And the the one thing is, is I, I, I'm really wondering what happened to the deep wide receiving core that Jackson State was supposed to have. Because when, when you look at the stat box, Shane Hooks, Dallas Daniels, and Kevin Coleman got like all the targets. I mean, I mean, that. You can't. I mean, Shane Hooks had 13 targets last night, man. And so, so for me, I'm wondering is when's the depth going to kind of develop in that wide receiving core? And I want to give Kevin Coleman um, some props, man. I don't know if you guys saw in the highlights that I posted. Um, listen, that hit he took over the middle. So it, they were driving out. I think it was late fourth quarter, man. He came on a post route and got lit up. And somehow he kept he he somehow held on to the ball in that situation, man. Kevin Coleman played a hell of a game, even though he only had two catches. That catch kept the drive alive, and that catch was the one where they they got they they put up. I believe it was the um the nine um the nine point one, uh the the third field goal of the game. And shout out to Kevin Coleman, man. I thought he dropped it uh, when I was in the press box. I was like, oh man, they took his head off. But man, he he went um. Hang on. Bro, that, that one – okay, I'm done with this, bro. Like, look, we, we ain't talking about – Tennessee State had more penalties than Jackson State, RJ. Tennessee State had nine penalties, bro. Stop blaming the refs on everything, man. Just stop. This is getting outrageous. You can't blame the refs when your team had less penalties than the other team. Just come on. But anyway, but I, I thought Jackson State played well, man. Um, And listen, the kicking game – the kicking game was so important, man. Um, I don't know if, if you guys watched the press conference. You could tell when 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 Coach Prime got that question about the kicker, he he was so excited. And the fact that you know Mata got his opportunity, Mata was named the MVP. I know I kind of cut that off at the end of the press conference. Listen, he it, you could tell how much that meant to him, man. That's a true freshman coming in, and without him, without him, Jackson State doesn't win this game. He balled out, and the block was not his fault. I went and watched, and I think you can see on my highlights the ones I got from the press box. The the it was one of the two guards just missed their block, and it just it caused like the whole chain reaction along the line, and they let someone come straight free up the middle, and and, and blocked it. And so that wasn't even Mata's fault, and Mata's probably hitting that kick anyway. And so I, I got to give Mata, uh, Mata some credit, man. In, at the press conference, you could just tell how humble and, um, and you could just tell how much it meant to him for him to be in that moment, man. So I want to give him a huge shout-out because y'all know as a freshman in a stadium of 50-plus thousand, knowing the game is probably coming down to your foot, man, he could have easily choked that moment away, especially when his first field goal is blocked, man. That could have gotten his head, and he could have been off the rest of the game. And so I, I got to give him a lot of credit, and he deserved every bit of that MVP um, trophy uh, on that on that MVP trophy, man. Let me get to this call. Eight five zero, you're live. Hey, Blue, how you doing, bro? Can what's up, me? man? Hey, what's going on, bro? Uh, I just want to talk to you in reference to uh, a comment at the end of uh, Coach Prime's 
SWAT conference, uh, he was talking to you know in reference to scheduling, and I agree with him on most things. What I don't agree with him on is probably comparing FBS against FBS competition and the payout. You know, because he was saying you know the 1.7, 1.4, 1.2 billion. I mean, excuse me, million payouts in comparison to 300,000 and the 400,000, dollars payouts. And I know he understands that those are two different uh, competitive levels that we are talking about. So, Blue, I just wanted to get your honest opinion on, on what you think about the whole deal. And then my second question is, is obviously Nebraska let Scott Frost go today. Um, <laughs> who do you think would be a better candidate? Would it be Matt Campbell from Iowa State or would it be Urban Meyer considering his controversy down in Jacksonville? I'm never going to vouch for Urban Meyer and his off-the-field issues. So I'll say Matt Campbell. Just, I mean, listen, Matt Campbell's such an underrated coach. I'm just going to put it out there. So I, I, I like Matt Campbell there. So I'll answer that one quickly. But in terms of the coach prom comments at the press conference, you know, I do think he made a mistake comparing FBS payouts to FCS payouts because some of the SWAC teams get on par with what FCS schools get. But I will say he does have a point. It, in terms of FCS schools, not just HBCU schools, SWAC schools, whatever, all FCS schools have been asking for way too little money to come up there and get their heads beat in. And I, he had a point. I think, you know, he made the mistake. And I think um, Ken Rashad and, and some people on Twitter, um, you know, get, got after him on that comment. But I think the point he was making is that, you know, when you look at the brands, when you look at the attention, et cetera, why aren't we asking for more? It, it can't hurt to ask for more. And so, you know, I, I don't, I don't disagree with them because, you know, North Dakota state is only getting like three, 400,000 this weekend to go down to Arizona, Alabama state. I mean, their whole team couldn't have traveled to California for what they got paid. And that goes for anybody, Eastern Kentucky, um, incarnate word, Whatever, all these schools should be asking for more money. And there's no reason you should take a game. Like, I don't know what Sanford got paid for Georgia. I'm sure it's somewhere on probably Hero Sports or something. But Sanford should not go to Athens in that stadium and take and, and get shut out for anything less than close to a million, in my opinion. And I don't want to hear that these teams don't have that money because a million to a school like Georgia, Ohio State, etc is nothing and so i think what people are missing is that it's bigger than just the swag it's bigger than than, than whatever it, the entire fcs has been lowballing themselves in terms of out of conference games for a long long time and what i'm hoping happens is that people start negotiating their wealth man you cannot tell me it's fair value to go get beat 58 nothing for 300k so I agree with his premise, but yeah, I mean, I think people got lo people lost the main message due to trying to correct him on his example. If that makes sense, yeah, that makes that makes, that makes um, the, 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 other, the other parameter. This I'm gonna throw a wrench in this. Um, FCS schools playing Division two schools or, or NIA, NAIA schools and uh, and I think that those schools have to pay the lower tier schools to play also. So if you're already in a financial crisis, 
then why are we why are we paying six figures to schools that 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 you're playing below your competition though? I mean that's a good question. I mean, how much how much does Southern uh pay to Florida Memorial? Does anyone know? Um, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my research on those, but yeah. Because I mean that's a good question. I mean, you can't complain on what you're getting paid when I mean you're just turning the money back around to pay it to a D D two school, but um, you know, I still think he's right on in terms of negotiating you know, your worth and everything like that. So, you know, the D2 conversation is an interesting one because Southern plays two of them this year. So did they just spend that LSU payout to pay two random D2 schools and, and NAIA schools to, to come to Baton Rouge and get beat? So uh, that's a good question. Exactly. And I ran, I read through some, uh, some, some swag me at media and they say, well, it's robberies. And it's our way of giving back to those HBCUs. I understand that, but like I said, I told him, I said, once if you're in that crisis, then why would you do that if you have if football is your bread maker and and provides money to the other sports? But that was my point to them. But uh, I definitely appreciate you taking the call, Blue. I appreciate, appreciate, appreciate you, man. man. Keep doing what you're doing. Brother. Four oh four, you live. Hey, what's going on, bro? I just want to touch on something out on Tennessee and Jackson State. Jackson State fans, they're making excuses. They're saying, well, we didn't do this well. Well, we didn't do that well. We didn't do this well. You can say the same thing for FAMU. Well, FAMU didn't do this well. They didn't do that that well. That's why the school was like that. They got down to the red zone. How many times, Blue? Okay, so th- this was something I said on Ken Clark's show. They only got to the red zone five times, but they got inside Tennessee, inside Tennessee state territory, I think um, uh, nine or 10 times. Okay. And one touchdown, right? Uh, yeah. One touchdown. The and then I don't know. I don't know how many field goals came in the red zone because the red zone is inside the 20. So I think they had some scoring drives yeah. that, came outside the red zone too. So I don't, I don't even think that touchdown came inside the red zone because hang on. Yeah. It was a 27 yard pass from Shador to Willie Gaines. So they weren't even in the red zone on the touchdown drive. Uh, and they're talking about all the mistakes. It wasn't because they was making mistakes. I feel like it was because of uh, Texas state, Texas Southern putting that pressure on them. That's why they made all the mistakes. JSU, y'all got to stop. Tennessee State played a hell of a game. They made y'all one-dimensional. And they put that pressure on y'all. That's it. That's why y'all was making all those mistakes. I'm gone, Blue. Tennessee, Jackson State, stop making excuses, man. Appreciate the call, man. Uh, yes, I, I think you meant Tennessee State, Bryce. <laughs> I think you meant Tennessee State. Four one zero, you're live. What was going on, Blue? This double C double up. What's up, man? Hey, um, about the payouts y'all was talking about. I mean, it seems like the top FCS teams they get high payouts. Like Eastern Washington, they claim Florida. Florida paying them seven hundred fifty thousand. Idaho supposed to play Indiana. They playing paying them one point three million. And what Montana State playing, Oregon State, they're getting paid 675000 So the top teams, 
they get paid double with the low teams get paid that three hundred thousand or something. So you know, the better FCF team you are, the better more money you get paid. That's what it looked like. And a question is, how do you have William and Murray fifteenth, and they be the FBS team? Um, I mean, hang on, let me go back. So I can break down. These. You got like Caesar State, Holy Cross. Club. Well, I mean, Ho- Holy Cross just beat an FBS team like this weekend. Okay, all right, but and State, who? Weaver State didn't right. Yeah, they they beat uh, Utah State thirty five to seven this weekend. Oh yeah, oh they. All right, okay, but still, how? So all right, so you on your thing, you got um, all right. So I guess you ranked over them. They played two FCS teams, and one of them bumped. And you got two teams that beat three teams that beat FCS under them. Well, Holy Cross, I got to, I, I got to see. They got to prove themselves. Let's be honest. The Patriot is not the toughest conference in in the country. Let's just be honest here. Nah. And that's why they've dominated. Nah. And they 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 beat a they beat a FBS team, but they did it with a hail mary. And uh. you know, listen, they look great, but. Jackson State went out there, and we'll see about FAMU. I know some people have some questions, but listen, beating anybody 59-3 to is impressive. And and the reason I kept them at 10 is because I do think Tennessee State's a good team. I think a 16-3 win against Tennessee State is is great, man. Listen, they sacked a mobile quarterback eight times. They held, my opinion, the best running back in HBCU football to less than 75 yards rushing. The defense played a great game. They had some offensive struggles in the red zone. But, man, listen, they're a top-ten team in my opinion. And I think William and Mary are going to have some chances to prove themselves. But when you look ahead of them, Eastern Kentucky, FBS win. Chattanooga has, I believe, shut out their first two opponents. Weaver State, FBS win. Holy Cross, FBS win. Delaware's up there, FBS win. We don't know what Sac State and Villanova are yet. You know, they just haven't had those games yet. But when they get – they got a very tough conference schedule, and we're going to find out about yeah. them. Missouri State, they've been impressive, 2-0, two impressive wins. And then the top five I don't think needs any explaining, especially not Incarnate Word. And I think Incarnate Word, not you can argue, they could be higher than five right now. Yeah, but JSU, FAMU, and Campbell, not the same. William and Murray schedule and – can't, can't JSU playing FAMU? That's not the same. They, and they play what Charlotte. So you saying Tennessee State is as good as Charlotte, and FAMU is as good as Campbell with William and Murray schedule. That's what you're saying. No, I'm not saying that. But Jackson State has looked just as impressive, in my opinion. And and listen, Charlotte, I don't know. Listen, I might take any of the top 15 teams against Charlotte. Let's be honest. If 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 NDSU, Montana, SDSU, Chattanooga, Weaver, Holy Cross play Charlotte after they just got beat by William and Mary by almost twenty, you're telling me you would not favor the FCS team in that situation? In that situation, I I, I would I would they the top I mean the top five I, it ain't no doubt come on they it's not no doubt they going they gonna get Charlotte problems they gonna beat Charlotte it's not even gonna be a problem them beating Charlotte. 
The other ones, which you, what's 14? Eastern Washington? Is that 14? Yeah. No, Eastern Kentucky is 14, who just beat Bowling Green this weekend. Yeah, I, nah, they, they might beat Charlotte. They probably beat Charlotte, too. But out of that top 15, out of the top 10, yes, you got the weakest schedule. You're saying, fam, you is as good as them teams, as good as the teams they play. Now, listen, their schedule has not been great. I, I agree with you there. That Out of all the teams, I think them and Holy Cross have had the two weakest schedules out of the top 15. I agree with you. But both of those teams have looked great in their games, and they have, and I think Jack State, top top five defense in the country, like I said, and they have a top two quarterback. And so for that, that keeps them in the top ten for me because when I also look at it, so when you have not just a schedule argument, right now if Jackson State played Holy Cross, Weber, Chattanooga, Easter Kentucky, William & Mary, that they mm-hmm. would compete. They would compete. Now, will they dominate and beat them 50 to nothing? No, but they'll compete with those teams. And I think right now, Jackson State has proven they're a better team than the teams behind them right now. And the, and listen, if Weaver goes out there, wins the big sky, they'll jump Jackson State. And I think all these teams have opportunities to prove themselves against their schedule. Now, Eastern Kentucky's schedule in the A-Sun you can probably debate it a little bit, especially if Kennesaw is not what is not what everyone thinks they are. But we'll see, man. Listen, if Ooh, Mary goes out there and wins the CAA, that they're they're going to jump up there too. So it's only week two, and everyone's got room to move, in my opinion. Yeah, Aeson's a new conference, you know that's suspect. You know what I'm saying? You can't. I ain't going down them. I ain't going up. It's just a new conference, you know. So it is what it is with the Aeson, you know. I ain't, I ain't down enough. But out of that top 15, yes, you got the weakest schedule by far. William and Murray would tear through the swag. They didn't even no doubt William and Murray would tear through the swag. And you know you know they would. They would tear through the swag. Well, I mean, to be fair, Jackson State looks like they're going to do the same thing to the swag this year, too. So, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, so, because right now, I mean, we'll see. I mean, Grambling looked good against Northwestern State, but we'll see. We'll see, man. But, hey, man, I'm going to get to this uh, next caller, man, so I can get through these last few games, man. But I appreciate you calling. Steve, you're live. Hey, what's up, Blue? How you doing? Not too bad, man. Good, good, good. I know everybody's talking about the money game. Uh, Last year, Montana beat um, UW Washington. They got a $625,000 – Payout. Uh, I know, like I know, like the small FCS teams, like the like the uh, the HBCUs, like they get desperate. They get desperate for real. Like as far as the money out, they just see a number they throw out and don't want to negotiate. But it's all good. What do you think about Marshall beating Notre Dame? Uh, Georgia Southern beating Nebraska. No, uh, uh, who else? Uh, I, uh, I can't. Forget, I can't forget. Uh, Appalachian State beat Texas a and That was a big one. How you think about that, Blue? Thanks for taking my call, man. Pre- uh, appreciate you, man. Um, I think the Marshall one was probably the most surpri- surprising, especially with how Notre Dame hung in there with Ohio State last week. Uh, the App State one does not really surprise me. I'm not. I'm going to be honest. App State has made a living upsetting FBS teams, and <laughs> Texas A&M was insanely overrated. Um, Nebraska with Scott Frost, not surprising. Scott Frost should have been fired three years ago, and 
it, yeah. it doesn't surprise Trev me Albert at all. Is AD, you know, his, his coach is teammates. Trev Albert, he played in the um, you know, back back when um, Scott Frost played. He uh, he um, he put, he's their AD. He's the um, athletic director. So he had to do something because his job on the line from the president. So that's what I'm saying. He had to make that move quick. That's what. Like when you gotta fire somebody, you gotta fire them quick, or they'll they'll be they'll be a toxic culture. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they got to nail this hire. If they if they mess up this hire, it's a wrap for that program, man. They are going to go straight to the gutter in the Big Ten. But I think that was the biggest upset. Now, I did call my I pick. I can I can post my uh, college football pick them. I said Cameron Ward and Washington State was going to beat Wisconsin, and they did too. So that one made me feel good in my soul. Wow. Is he starting? Is he starting? Yeah, he started. He started the first two games. Wow. 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 That's crazy, man. That's crazy. But, yeah, Appalachian State's been good, man. One season they went 13-1, and one, just like um, Louisiana. So, you know, some of those Belt teams and Conference USA teams, should be in a bigger, you know, conference, man. Ever since this uh, new new realignment does. And uh, last thing, what do you think about all the Florida schools going to the SEC, except UCF and South Florida, like Miami, Florida State, and Florida? Florida's already in the SEC, just Miami and Florida State. What do you think that? Do you think that happens? Um, you know, I think Florida State potentially. I think a, a Miami would be a much tougher sell, but like. Uh, Mr. Campbell says everything Florida would try their damnness to try to uh, to try to block that happening they do not want um, <laughs> yeah they do not want Florida State in the conference so I, I don't I don't know okay. I think it should but we'll see man but hey man Steve I appreciate the call man anytime man have a good night you too man but, uh, man, let me finish up this Jackson State uh, recap, too. Man, can I give a shout-out to Savion Wilkerson? I want to – listen, um, hang on real quick. Um, Sean, I think you got the wrong uh, membership link, my God, man. I just want you to check that because uh, Max has been posting that in here a few times, man. So, Sean, got to get that fixed. But, um, listen, I, I want to give a shout-out to Savion Wilkerson. I said that he was the best running back on this Jackson State team before the season started and I think he proved it this weekend he looked he looked more physical he looked explosive he looked like in every down back that Jackson State was missing and that's something that I thought that he could bring to that offense um he he could bring to that offense going into the season I just I don't know why he didn't get more carries week one listen Santi Marshall did his thing but I think you saw that the physicality and just the ball, the ball protection, everything like that. That's the difference with, with, with Savion Wilkerson. And I really do think this guy could be the missing piece to this run, to this run offense for Jackson state. When you look at, when you look at the game this weekend, he had 81 yards rushing after almost five and a half yards per carry and was just physical at the point of attack, man. Like he, he could run through tackles and and you cannot just tackle him with one guy and you have to, you have to wrap him up. And so I think going through swag play, having him in the backfield makes the, makes that front seven respect him a little bit more. And it opens up more. Th- it, it opens up things for Shador in the back end of the defense. And 
So for me, I think Savion Wilkerson this weekend left no doubt in my mind, and it shouldn't have left any doubt in anyone's mind that he should be the starting running back for Jackson State moving forward. And I got to give the offensive line some credit too. Listen, they did struggle at times in terms of pass protection. And it, it just it seems like the offensive line's biggest problem is just consistency. They have certain stretches where they look so much better than last year. And then there's other times where it just seems like they lose focus um, and, and just, you know, in crucial moments. There were a few times in third and shorts and things like that where they just missed a block and allowed Tennessee State to get upfield and stop them. And, it, and, th- and that, to me, was a big reason why the offensive consistency was, was missing because they didn't have those mental lapses last week against Florida A&M and now – you know, Tennessee State has some defensive linemen come back. You know, of course, they lost T.D. Patterson. Um, they, they, they lost him due to the targeting call. But I really do think the um, I really do think the offensive line looks a lot better than last season. Zach Bro um, at the center spot, Evan Henry at the guard. Now, listen, Evan Henry had a tough game. I'll, let's keep it real here. I think Evan Henry had um, I, I think Evan Henry had three holding calls this weekend. And they were at like crucial times. And you can argue whether they were BS or questionable. The fact of the matter is Evan Henry had three holding calls in very, very, very crucial situations. And so um he you gotta clean that up because in big games you 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 can't have that happen. Um, but listen, this was a great game. I'm, I'm, I don't know about you guys, and I know Jackson State fans might not agree with me on this one because I get it's your favorite team. I'm the same way about mine. I'm so glad that this game was as competitive as it is. And I do want I do want to say one thing. And I, I said this, um, I forgot when last season, but I really do think the close call and the fact that this was a competitive game was a great wake up call for Jackson State where it was like, listen, we have all this talent. We went out there, beat FAMU by 56 points. But then we came in the next week, we lost focus, we made some mistakes. The team we played forced some big plays. Man, we we could get beat if we don't go out there and play our best game. So I think it really did give Coach Prom and this coaching staff a lot of ammunition for film study to preach to, to preach to this team. Listen, man, y'all might be great on paper, but if we go out there and we don't play our best game, we can get beat on any given weekend. So to have a wake-up call in an out-of-conference game that didn't affect your season, that you still found a way to come out with the win, listen, that's that's great. And I talk about this all the time with good teams. What happened this weekend when, when you look at – Alabama with the struggle win that they had. When you look at Jackson State struggles against Tennessee State, when you look at, you know, and I say this all the time, you have to have those games to learn a little bit about your team. And this is something that we learned this week is that Jackson State can respond to adversity and win a close, tightly contested, low-scoring game. And so I I, I'm, I think both teams played a great game, man. Listen, you've got to give Jackson State's defense a shout-out, man. Eight sacks, 140 total yards allowed, and – and, and this this was a learning experience for both teams. And and hear me out. If if Jackson State goes on to win the SWAC and Tennessee State goes on to win the OVC, both coaches, I guarantee you, will look back to this game as as a big, big learning experience for their team in terms of you know the 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 adversity, the mistakes and things like that, and playing against really, really quality out of conference opponents. I'm telling you, they're gonna look back and say that. And you could tell both coaches, you know, right after the game. But respected each other in in terms of that. But listen, Paris, we got to talk about this. 
listen, okay, I might okay, if Grambling does not score a touchdown this week, we're gonna start a giveaway and we're gonna I'm gonna get predictions and let people bet on who is the first team that is going to score on Jackson State this season. Y'all can put it in the chat real quick and your opinion. Who is the first team that is going to score a touchdown against Jackson State in 2022? I need to I need to know. I need to know um, what you guys, who you guys think will be the first team to score a touchdown on Jackson State this uh, in, in 2022, man. But let's get to these last few games, man. I'm gonna get out of here. Um, Campbell, hang on. You think okay? The Campbell game is what October 15th. You think you think Jackson State will allow? No touchdowns until October 15th. That's crazy. Paris, that is a bold prediction. And Kevin had the same one. Uh, Campbell, who is after Valley, Grambling, uh, defense was clutch. Wow. Okay, listen, if, if Jackson State does not allow a touchdown up until October 15th, that is that, that is insane. And this weekend will be an interesting test. I think, um, so if I'm not mistaken, someone asked Hugh Jackson about that today. And so we'll see. Let's see. Grambling will score two touchdowns against Jackson State. Mm. But, man, real quickly, South Dakota State, um, 24-22 over UC Davis. I think South, Carolina, uh, South Dakota State was the better team early. And it's just, man, UC Davis hung around in there and and – Brought and, and really got themselves back in the game. I thought UC Davis played a great game, but man, South Dakota State just had too much firepower to um had way way too much firepower to to to, to escape this game. Man, but I think they're missing Tucker Craft really and truly. But listen, it was a big win for South Dakota State. William and Mary uh, beats Campbell thirty seven twenty one. We just talked about Jones on the defensive side. That William and Mary offense is a problem. And Campbell, Campbell played a solid game, man, but I just think William & Mary is on that next level. This was a future CAA conference matchup, but you've got to give a shout-out to, to that William & Mary offense, man. They have been extremely consistent throughout this first part of the season. Now, this is a game I know some people might want to talk about a little bit. North Dakota State beats North Carolina A&T 43-3 in the Fargo Dome. I got to watch the beginning of this game. And, man, th- this game was extremely interesting. Now, you know, the same person who DM'd um, Scotty DM'd me about the physicality of the offensive line. But, listen, you could run the ball. Listen, they ran the ball fine. They had 139 yards rushing for A&T. Uh, Tootin had 127 yards rushing. But the passing game was atrocious for North Carolina A&T. They had 50 total yards passing between Zach Yeager and Jalen Fowler. 50 total yards passing and one interception. And on top of that, I mean, I, it, it was it was tough. Listen, when it, it's bad, when the fullback, when Hunter Lipke big boyed somebody in the end zone for a, for like a on, on a pass, man, he caught it right on top of his head. And when when the fullback is catching passes over the middle, it, it, it is tough, man. It is it's tough. But listen, A&T didn't play a horrible game. It's just um, and, and really and truly um, North Dakota State didn't look didn't look super dominant. But listen, 43 to three, they kind of called the dogs off late in that game. So, um, you know, A&T, A&T went up there. 
collected collected the check, but took a 40-point beatdown, man, in that game. Now, Montana looked super impressive, 24-7, man. Lucas Johnson, again, leads the team in passing and rushing. And I'm telling you, Lucas Johnson has Montana looking like um, a real FCS championship contender. And I would not be surprised if it's a Grizz um, a bison matchup in Frisco, Texas, in, in Frisco, Texas this year. The defense is dominant, man. Patrick O'Connell and Justin Ford have been outstanding the first two games, and the defensive line has been really, really, really impressive for the Grizz this season, man. So I just wanted to highlight those four games. But, man, let me get to some of these comment, comments. Hey, Pupas, I'm hoping all corn can get it together against McNeese. That game is one we're going to talk about, you know, on the preview, but. That's a game that Alcorn State has to win, in my opinion. And when I say that, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's not like a must win for the season. Man. That's just a must win for the SWAC. The fact that McNeese has still never lost to a SWAC team is atrocious. I don't understand how that is even a stat that McNeese has never lost to a SWAC team. So uh, Alcorn State, Win it for the conference, man. I'm I'm really, really hoping they come out there and, and ball out. They didn't have the best showing against Tulane, man. Aaron Allen did not have a great game. And I've really gave them more credit than I guess they they deserve going into that one, man. I thought they could at least be um competitive against Tulane, but they, they weren't competitive in the slightest in that game. So I I, I feel bad for all corn state, but it's a must win this weekend. UC Davis missed a game winning field goal. It was close, Ron. Listen, man, I thought South Dakota State was going to run away with this one. I'll be honest with you, Ron. I, I predicted South Dakota State would win, so I get credit for that, man. But I did not think it was going to be um I did not think it was going to be that close, Ron. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a hundred with you. I really didn't. Blue, this game reminded me of the South Carolina State game last year. I feel like JSU would have lost this game last year, but this team is built different and mentally tougher. Great HBC football. I agree, T. I a thousand percent agree. We got Grambling Valley, Bama State, Bethune, then Campbell. So Grambling Valley, Bama State, and Bethune are not going to score a touchdown. Paris, that's listen. That's that's an that's a prediction. If you're right on that, I, I'm going to give you a lot of credit. And cats just the same team that they used to be. Um, I don't know what it'll take for them to get back uh, to what they were, but Mister, uh, I think Mister Ford is completely wrong on them. I saw that North Dakota State and them boys look good. Uh, Jalen Jones is balling. Is Delaware State the minor leagues for Jackson State? It seems like all their stars end up in blue and white. Wilkerson is a beast. Man, Wilkerson plays so good. I don't think that's um, I, I don't think that's an understatement, man. He he's a baller, and I really really like his game. And Cass got Duke this week does not get any better, and they might not be South Carolina State. South Carolina State looked really really good last week. Let's see, and cats trending um, downwards. I don't think I don't know if Jackson State's played McNeese Paris, but I know all the SWAC teams they have played have not beat them. Pink Scooter Gang will score on them. <laughs> I think McNeese has beaten the same two or three teams in all those wins, but I might be wrong. Alcorn almost beat Tulane. It hit the upright. What's the deal with Alcorn's pointer? Did he go to Southern? Um. So I heard he was supposed to be eligible this week, but then I got a call right before it was on Friday night when I was driving to Memphis. I heard he's still not eligible. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the punter situation, Jay, um, but hopefully he'll be back this weekend. If not, we'll see. But I mean, the good part is the backup punter is now has two weeks of experience 
And so hopefully he can be more efficient in hit in terms of his production at the punter spot until the starter gets back. Incat Olam played NDSU's D-line in a way I haven't seen in a while, and the running back for Incat was a monster. I'm not counting Incat out on being a problem in the next few years. I agree with Paris on, on the touchdown predictions. Their quarterbacks aren't good. Um, Listen, okay, I agree to a point, but I will say if D. Davis was fully healthy, Paris, I would give them a slight chance, but it, it depends on his health. I don't know if he's even going to be back this week. So I, I'll say this. I don't know if your prediction is completely crazy, but um, if D. Davis is back, I, I think Alabama State has a chance, but that's a big what if, especially because I don't know what his status is right now. Bethune can barely score against their practice squad. Man, you are out of pocket for that one. Um, what do I do? Miak means? I don't know what that. Um, I just don't see anyone scoring over seven except maybe Southern. JSU's on a whole different mindset. I'm rolling with Paris. JSU's looking like the 85 Chicago Bears. Um, Blue, please address these comments in the chat about the top FCS teams. Get paid millions of dollars. Uh, did I miss that comment? No, um, I don't think anyone gets paid millions of dollars in the playoffs. Um, a lot of teams take a loss. Um, so, I, uh, I mean, there's, there's, I think if I was told right, there was like a few teams who have found a way to make it profitable for them, but most of them lose money, man. So, I don't, no one's getting paid millions. I mean, he's a 16 and 0 against the swag. Good Lord, man. Uh, let's see. I hope you're right, but Montana State's top three running backs are hurt. <laughs> Alcorn needs to win that out-of-conference game for the swag. Do you see BC, uh, you see Bethune Cookman beating Fam? Um, right now, they're going to be competitive. Uh, <laughs> right now, they're going to be really, really competitive, Spence. Um, you know, I think um, it's so tough, man, because South Carolina State did not look good against um, – I mean, Bethune Cookman did not look good against South Carolina State last week. Um I think it's going to be competitive. I don't coming into the season. I thought that was a guaranteed win for FAMU. Right now, Spence, I don't think that is. I want to see how FAMU looks against Alabama A and M, but right now, I think Bethune Cookman and FAMU are right on par, man. And that that could determine who finishes where in that in that division. Incarnate Word versus India NDSU is going to win that game, Darren. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a. I'm going to just say that. It's definitely in DSU in that matchup. I was, let's see. Uh, did we bet that TSU? I don't I don't think we bet, man. I don't think we bet. But if, if we did, if you show me the comment where um we bet, then I, I got you. But I don't think I'll bet anything. I did, I did think they were going to score more than three. But listen, Jackson State's defense played a hell of a game. And I think uh, Coach Prom talked about in the press conference today, actually, about how impressed he was with Dennis Thurman and how much credit Dennis Thurman should get for this defense. So, um, listen, I was impressed. You can, you can count me as a believer in the defense now. Now, this Grambling game is going to be extremely interesting, man. If, if they go out there and, and they don't score a touchdown, man, I mean – a lot of those SWAC teams are going to be really, really uh, nervous to, to face uh, Jackson State. A little bit. Um, they really didn't look good against. Um, they, they really didn't look good against Albany State. And I listen. I know you know people are going to kill me because I, I don't really I don't watch a lot of D two football. I, I don't care. 
I don't care how good of a D2 school Albany State potentially is. FAMU, in my opinion, should not FAMU, in my opinion, should not struggle with Albany State, especially at home. And they really didn't look they didn't look good from what I've seen. You know, I haven't got to watch the full game in, in full length yet, but from what I've seen and what I've read about the game and everything, they did not look great. So I do think FAMU is a little bit overrated. Now, you know, I had them ranked fourth in my preseason HBCU um my, my preseason HBCU rankings. And right now I think you can make an argument. They barely belong in the top 10. So um, I do think Fanview was overrated coming into the season, KJ and right now, at least until they prove me otherwise. Let's see. Uh, Reginald, the, the preview is dropping tomorrow. So I'm going to get, I got the full Jackson state Grambling preview dropping early for you guys. It'll be dropping tomorrow. So I'll, I'll save my thoughts till, till then top three teams in the MEAC. Um, North Carolina Central, South Carolina State at two, oh, and Norfolk State at three would be where I would sit it right now. I think Delaware State had too many question marks, especially with the Asias Guthrie transfer. And on top of that, uh, I, right now I think Morgan's a year or two away. So, um, NCCU at one, South Carolina State at two, and Norfolk at three. I don't think anyone in the SWAC is going to score over 10 points on JSU's defense. Now that's likely. I I, I kind of agree. Um, kind of agree with that. Man, Wayne, appreciate you becoming a member, man. Guys, if y'all want to be a member, man, link is in um in the comment with Sean. Appreciate y'all. GSU won't have anything for JSU. First team to score a touchdown on JSU is Grambling. Uh North Carolina Central, South Carolina State after that is a toss-up. Now listen, Morgan, it's on its way. I thought they played well against Towson at times, but man, you got to give you got to give Wilson a little bit more time to get this team developed. So um, I, I think Morgan State's coming, but Central and South Carolina State have a huge lead on this on this conference, and really and truly, I would not sleep on Central to win the MEAC this year, man. They look so good, and I know they played Winston Salem State, but they beat them like they were supposed to, forty-one to nothing. This weekend, I could see them at six or seven. Mm. Ah. Wait, um, I, mean it's, I mean, it's only five, right? Uh, are you talking about, um, are you, uh, KJ, are you talking about like HBC rankings? If you're talking about HBC rankings, um, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, six or seven, um, because, because I think right now it's Jackson State. So the HBCU teams I would rank over Fanview right now, Jackson State. North Carolina Central, South Carolina State, Tennessee State. Um, oh man, this is now now we're kind of splitting hairs though. I mean, yeah, maybe six or seven. It's just okay. How much stock do y'all put in PV right now? That's the question mark. Is I don't know where to put PV right at at this second, at, right this second, because they they had a big win over Texas Southern, who I think was was a little bit overrated. And then they played a close game with Abilene Christian that they had a chance to win. I don't think we're going to learn a lot about them against Incarnate Word. But, I mean, really and truly on the field, PV has looked solid. That defense looks like it's legit. And so, I mean, I think you can make an argument right now on the field that 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 PV potentially belongs over them. Southern belongs over them, too. So maybe seven um, right now. Um, <laughs> she said... <laughs> 
said HBC records. I'm being nice. We beat them up and I feel bad. That, you know, KJ, I can give you some credit for being nice on that one. <laughs> said that we put put 59 on them. We put 59 on them. So I got so I got a um let's see the nickel based defense is giving um air raid off uh, offenses a ton of trouble. I mean, listen, the more film teams have on Jackson State, I will see if they make any adjustments. But I agree with Miak Mike, man. It's just this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough to to compete and beat Jackson State this year. I mean, and I told y'all the biggest threat, in my opinion, was Tennessee State. They win a 16-3, to a closely contested game. And I think outside of Southern, maybe Alcorn in conference, I don't know if anyone can hang with them, Ray. I'll be honest. And I think Central would be a very, very interesting matchup in the Celebration Bowl. I'm hoping that happens because I think Central matches up with Jackson State better than South Carolina State does this year. But we'll see, man. I'm, I'm hoping Trey Oliver and that coaching staff uh, gets a chance and, and gets to prove themselves similar to how Buddy Pugh and that South Carolina State coaching staff did. But we'll see. We'll see how um, how it develops. Central is going to be a problem in the MEAC. I agree. Central, I, I love Central's game. Richard at quarterback, a problem. Their wide receiving core has multiple guys that can go make plays. Bullock and that offensive line have been just dogs in that in that front five. Their defensive line has been able to go out and make plays, and their secondary led by Codrington has been a lot better than I expected to be as a group. So I love what Central has right this second. But um, let me find the comment. This weekend, we're going to find out a lot about Central. Um, New Hampshire is going to be a big game. And it's it's a huge out-of-conference matchup for them. If North Carolina Central beats New Hampshire, I agree, Lawrence. Do not sleep on do not sleep on Central going undefeated this year if they beat New Hampshire this weekend. Campbell's gonna be a big test too in terms of out of conference, but we just saw what William and Mary did. Did they lay out the the blueprint on how to beat Campbell? And we've always seen Campbell has some great moments, but they can't put a full season together. You know, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, Central right now has a great chance of going to feed if they beat um, New Hampshire. So I'm trying to have a heart. <laughs> I thought we would know something by week three, but that might still be too early. That's that's fair. Let's see. Um, what are you doing? Your AM and Valley predictions? Are you talking about the what? What? Um, it's about the games this week because I'm not. I'm not predicting the Valley. Um, I'm not predicting the Valley game this week. I think they play Delta State. Um, definitely not going to predict that game. I think I'm going to do a preview on AM and Austin P, or at least it'll be on my FCS preview this week. That game's going to be interesting, uh, Sonic Boom. AM against Austin P is a game that Condo Maynard has to compete in. They have to compete in that. Um, they got to compete in that game. If Austin P goes in there and puts it on them like they did Valley, it is it is going to look horrible for the out of conference record of of the SWAC right now, man. Because uh, right now, I think what Alabama State has an FCS win over Howard, and Jackson State has an out of conference win um, against the OVC with Tennessee State. But everyone else has not looked great. And I mean, it, it this is a game that Alabama A and M has to have. If you go zero and three. I mean, you're looking at one and two for FAMU and zero and three for A and M next week in um and brag, and that that game becomes extremely extremely interesting and a must win for both teams. 
if A and M loses to uh, if A and M loses to Austin P like Valley did, Manor would be looking bad and make the rest of us look bad. I agree. Um, I agree, man. If he if he if Austin P beats them forty one to nothing or something like that, that is that is terrible. That is absolutely atrocious, man. And I, I'll be pissed about that. How do we make the FCS uh, playoffs profitable? TV deals, sponsors, um, man. The NCAA actually putting resources to the playoffs. Um, Ray, there's there's a bunch of different ideas. I've, th- I've thrown a bunch out, but until the NCAA actually cares about FCS football and the programs and and these schools making some sort of money, it's never going to be profitable. Even even with the minor steps that they've taken over the past few years, they. You still got to invest um, in the infrastructure of the playoffs, or or it's always going to be a money pit in the playoffs. I'm giving my score prediction. Um, I'm giving my score prediction on Thursday, JM, on the FCS uh, Week Three preview. That'll be one of the games I talk about. But in terms of matchups, it's go- the the matchup to watch is going to be the running attack of Alcorn State with with Nico Duffy and the Syracuse transfer and that offensive line against a really, really stout front seven for McNeese that has some real playmakers, especially on the interior of that front seven. If Alcorn state does not, if Alcorn state cannot run the ball, they have no chance. And listen, golf over at McNeese in his first year coming over from Valdosta state is a very, very successful coach and it's an offensive-minded guy who's going to try to air it out. But the question I have about McNeese is a quarterback battle. Cam Ransom has not really turned out. They have um, Cadham at at the um, at the quarterback spot now. He has been very inconsistent, really been prone to turnovers. So this is a great test for the secondary of Alcorn State to get some takeaways and put some points on the board on the defensive side of the ball to help help out their offense. And if they can get an early lead, establish the run, and shorten up the game, Alcorn State matches up really well against McNeese State, man. But I'll give my full prediction on the preview for week three on Thursday night. This way treats the FCS playoffs like a stepchild. Agreed. Agreed on that. Y'all say you you want – y'all say what you want about JSU not playing tough out of conference games this year, but we haven't embarrassed the conference either. Now, that is fair. KJ got y'all on that one. (laughs) KJ got y'all on that one. No embarrassment from uh, Jackson State. Uh, SWAC versus FCS out of conference record, three and five. Who's the the third win, Lawrence? Am I missing somebody? I'm trying to think who who was the other um, FCS out of conference win. I definitely feel like I'm missing somebody because PV, PV lost to um, Abilene. Um, Jackson State got a win over Tennessee State. Who am I missing for that third win, Lawrence? Man, I'm blanking out because Valley lost to Tarleton. Valley lost to Austin P. I was back-to-back losses. Bethune lost to South Carolina State. Uh FAMU hasn't played any FCS out of conference games. Uh, yeah, Alcorn. Oh, that's right. Yep, Grambling State. Yep, Grambling beat Northwestern State. Yeah, so you're right. Yeah, because Alcorn lost to Stephen F. Austin, Sonic Boom. So yeah, three and five right now, which I mean, I guess is better than previous years, but you got to get some wins this weekend. Um, it, it's it's a must win because you know Incarnate Words beating PV. That that's a that's probably almost a guarantee right there. So Alcorn State has to beat McNeese this weekend. That is a must win. And I think PV plays Lamar later in the season, and Lamar is a very very winnable game um for the conference. So that's another game that that they're gonna have to um 
that they're going to have to win. It's possible if the NCAA stops BSing, uh, they need to find some sponsors and bring in more money. It can be done. They need to sit down with someone like Prom. Definitely like the stream. Um, A&M is going to be 0-3. <laughs> I'd like to see Central win the MEAC. They'll be our best re- representative. South Carolina State's QB1 uh, should be 50-50 because only completes 50% of his passes. Um, that's why I think Central is a better matchup for Jackson State. You're not going to beat Jackson State with a quarterback who can't who can't be dynamic and can't throw the football. And Davis Richard is the best quarterback in the MEAC, in my opinion. And they have a defense that I think could be somewhat um, – competitive and so i think central would be the best matchup um by far in the celebration bowl if it's if it's jackson state thing i think right now you can argue that they're the most complete team in the MEAC from top to bottom so i agree with you me at my central is my pick right now to to make it there so let me be and let's be clear tennessee state would have whooped the rest of the swag man listen tennessee state in my opinion is still a top five hbcu this year they're gonna be just fine let them get past their money game this weekend. They're, that you know they probably I don't know maybe they upset Middle Tennessee State. That would make Jackson State look amazing. Jackson State, and Eastern Washington is are going to be the biggest um, fans for Tennessee State this weekend as they go up against Middle Tennessee State. But Tennessee State will be just fine. Let them get into their conference schedule, and then I think we're going to find out how good of a team they are. But I still think they're a top five HB a team in HBCU football right now. I think. Right now, if I had to give like give my top five teams, I think it'd be Jackson State, Central, Southern. Man, after that, everyone just kind of falls off. South Carolina State at four, and then Tennessee State at five. So those are probably my top five teams um, right now. But I, th- I think Tennessee State top to bottom. And listen, when you get two losses in, in, in competitive games to top. 15 programs man you got to give them some credit uh, both of them away from home even though i guess that memphis could be considered a little bit closer to them but i i think um i think that team is, is going to be just fine once they get into the conference schedule man uh, definitely be a lot better undefeated jackson state undefeated central that game will be a draw that game will be amazing sign me up for that game every day man I, i'm hoping that game happens eventually we'll see but Get a long season ahead of us, man. But listen, man, we did two hours here. Um, listen, check out the highlights from the game, man. Um, courted by uh, yours truly. Uh, also got press conferences from Hugh Jackson and uh, Coach Prime up already from the coaches call today, talking about the um, the upcoming games this weekend. Oh, my bad. Got one caller here. It's be the last caller of the night. Two two nine. You're live. Two two nine, you're live. Hey, hey, Blue, this is Ray. I was I was calling because I was I, I had put the comment in there about um, the only defense I've seen to slow down the air raid has been uh, where they've played with either five defensive backs, and I've seen some teams play with uh, six. Do you see teams starting to adopt that to kind of? Uh, slow down or mitigate the air raid offense. Yeah, uh, over the past few years, I think that's, you know, it started in probably the early 2000s. Um, Gary Patterson was really the guy to make the 3-3-5, very, very popular. And with this new age of college football coming in where offenses are spreading out, putting their best athletes on the field, as a defensive coordinator, 
you want your best athletes on the field. So the days of the four, three and, and, and things like that just are not there anymore. So for me, I think over the past few years, the three, three, five has an obvious deficiency with the three, three, five. There's the, the running lanes are too big and it allows offensive linemen to work up to the second level too easily because of all that space. So I think you've seen teams really start to emerge running some sort of variation, however they disguise it or whatever, of a 4-2-5, where you still get four down linemen. And you know, with, you look at Isaiah Land, look at the kid um, who was the player of the week from Incarnate Word this week. They are The defensive ends have become more athletic than they were in the past. That way you have still have your best athletes on the field and it gives you an advantage on the edge to rush the passer. But it, for me, I'm biased. You should always have four down linemen because if you have any, yeah, anything I, less, you give the other team an advantage in terms of running the football and that's where you get in trouble. So I do agree with you that that kind of nickel look, whether it's like a four two five or whatever, is going to be probably the the default defense for the future of college football. Yeah, I, I see that blue, the, the, the four two five, and it's it's almost forcing those air raid teams into, hey, I'm not going to let your quarterback beat me. You're going to have to beat me with your running back. Yeah, I, I agree. And then also with with the three man front, it's so hard to generate pressure. You have to have a dog at one of those defensive line spots to generate any pressure. And then your nose, if you don't bring any pressure is going to get double to triple teamed every single play. So it just makes him pointless, you know? And it's really hard to stunt with three defensive linemen unless you bring some sort of creative blitz. And so the 4-2-5, I think, gives you a lot more flexibility than the 3-3-5 does. Right. Hey, that was it. I just saw that new nickel defense and was thinking, like, this is going to be the new base defense. Hey, other than that, Blue, hey, have a good one. Hey, appreciate the call, man. All right, we shut Goodbye. down the call line here. But, man, listen, I appreciate y'all rocking with me, man, over two hours. But look, like I said, we got press conferences posted. We're, I'm going to post more starting tomorrow morning, man. If there's a coach y'all want to see, man, let me know. And um, I, I'll make sure to get that up there, get a clip or, or whatever y'all want from that. Jackson State, Grambling State preview coming tomorrow. Um, also going to have the FCS preview on either Wednesday or Thursday night along with the roundtable. So stay tuned for updates on that. And if there's a game you want us to cover, player, anything like that, man, hit us up on social media. Hit me up in the comments, and I'll make sure to talk about that game, player, team, whatever you guys want to talk about, man. But I appreciate the support. I mean, we've gained so many subscribers, viewers, views over the past few weeks, man. So could not do it uh, without you guys. But listen, live streams coming later this week. Grambling Jackson State preview tomorrow. But until next time, the Blue Bloods are out. Mm-hmm.